0: ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Hello and welcome to Free Expression from the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal. I'm Jerry Baker editor-at-large of the journal. If you're not already a subscriber, please do sign up at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, the latest in my interviews with the Republican candidates for the party's 2024 presidential nomination. It's Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey. Now, Governor Christie, who once supported Donald Trump in the 2016 election and afterwards, is now among his party's fiercest critics of the former president. He's repeatedly condemned him for his refusal to accept the results of the 2020 election, has criticised him over a whole range of other issues, including the way he governed. And he said the party can't win if Trump is the candidate on the ballot next year. At last week's opening debate among the eight GOP candidates not named Trump, Christie was one of only two on stage who said they wouldn't support Trump if he were convicted and then became the party's nominee. Polls currently show Christie trailing by a wide margin, even in New Hampshire, where he's in third place. And that's the state where Christie's focusing much of his campaign efforts. So what's the future for Governor Christie and the GOP? Well, Governor Chris Christie joins me now. Governor, thanks very much for
1: joining Free Expression. Jerry, happy to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, Governor, you've been a very fierce critic of Donald Trump. You've repeatedly said his behaviour has been completely unacceptable. You're one of those who said you wouldn't support him if he were convicted and ran for president. You've also said the party will lose if he were the nominee. And I want to start off, though, by asking you about this particular question about whether or not Trump should even be allowed to be on the ballot. As you know, there's a movement in some states, including in New Hampshire, that actually Trump may already actually be essentially disqualified from running for president because of his behavior relating to January the 6th under the 14th Amendment. There is a movement to get him removed from the ballot. What's your view about that? Do you think Trump has already disqualified himself from actually even being a candidate?
1: You know, I have to say the truth, Jerry. I haven't spent any time really looking at that from a legal perspective. And I will tell you that my preference for both my party and for the country— is that Donald Trump be defeated at the polls so that there can be no doubt about what the american people's verdict is on him and on any future presidency he's proposing so my preference would be let the legal system take whatever course it's going to take regarding the criminal charges against him but my preference would be not that he is kicked off the ballot by the legal process but that he's defeated by the people of the Republican Party. And that's, I think, the best way to handle it. So he currently stands around about 50%
0: in the polls. And Ron DeSantis is 30-odd points behind, you're 40-odd points behind. How is that going to happen? How's Donald Trump going to be defeated electorally in the Republican primary?
1: Well, Jerry, look, the first thing is that, you know, these national polls, as someone who's a practitioner of this business, drive me crazy because we don't have a national primary. And the fact that he's at 50% in national polls is immaterial, doesn't matter. What matters are state-by-state polls, and the latest state-by-state poll in New Hampshire has him at 34 percent and has me at second place at 14 percent. So I feel like that's the way we have to look at this race because we're not going to have a national primary. We're going to have a caucus in Iowa on January 15th and then most likely a primary in New Hampshire on January 23rd. And when the results of each of those races comes in, as you know from your experience, the race will radically change. So I don't really care what national polls say right now or ever until a general election, because only then is the entire country voting. And by the way, remember this, in 2016, Hillary Clinton led in every national poll through to election day. And because we elect our presidents state by state, Donald Trump was elected the 45th president, not Hillary Clinton. So I don't much care about national polls.
0: All right, so set aside the national polls. And you just said, you just cited a poll in New Hampshire that has 20 points behind him, 34 to Trump, 14 to you. So my question is, you know, that's still still a very big lead and he's got similar leads in Iowa and some of the other early states too. My question to you again is the same one. Then how do you overcome that? How do you persuade people who are currently minded to vote for trump partly because they liked his presidency partly probably because they're outraged by some of the things they see going on and perhaps they're actually outraged even by some of the legal maneuvers against him how do you persuade enough people not to vote for him and to vote for you
1: well i think you do it by going directly at him and make the case against him i've been in this race for two and a half months and in two and a half months in new hampshire i've gone from zero to 14 so we keep that pace up we're going to pass him in december jerry so i feel very confident about what we've done so far and what we intend to do. And really, the race really started last Wednesday night at the first debate. That was really the starting gun for this race. And I'm excited about it. And we're going to go and make our case to the people of those early states. And I think we're going to do quite well.
0: But when you talk to voters, when you talk to voters in New Hampshire and elsewhere, and you're in New Jersey right now, when you talk to Republican voters... Again, I fully understand there are many that who have reservations about Trump, but you also must come across many, many Republican voters who are passionate in their support for Trump. And again, as I say, partly you know because they liked him in 2016, they liked what he did when he was in office, and also partly because they do feel that despite what you say and what many of us think that these cases against Trump, whatever you think of the legalities, reveal really terrible but disqualifying behavior by Trump, but they don't see it like that, do they? Many of them see it as a witch hunt. They buy his rhetoric on this. They see it by kind of corrupt by the administration going after its enemies. I mean, do you think those people are persuadable or are you just counting on them not being enough of them to say, you know, actually, well, there are many more people out there who say, no, Trump just is unacceptable as our nominee and they will vote for me.
1: Well, look, in New Hampshire now alone, it's 66 percent of the people prefer someone other than Donald Trump. And so, yeah, I think some of the 34 percent that are with him now are persuadable to move off him. But why would I fish in the 34% pond when there's a 66% pond right next door? And if we persuade a little more than half of those people to come to our camp, and we've already persuaded about a fourth of them, we'll have enough to beat Donald Trump in New Hampshire, and that will change the entire race.
0: OK, so let's turn to the issues, Governor, aside from the polls. And again, one of the things I think one of the reasons many people support Donald Trump and are not supporting you or some of the other candidates in the field is because you know, they think the Republican Party has kind of got out of touch with voters over the last 10 or 15 years or so. And there's this new populist strain in the party. Trump represents it. Your new best friend, Vivek Ramaswamy, who we saw on stage last week with you last week, also seems to represent that. A view that's very critical of some of the things that Republicans have traditionally stood for over the last 20 years. And Let's take, for example... Most obvious case, which is foreign policy in the particular instance, Ukraine. You've been very, very strongly supportive of the Ukrainian government of Volodymyr Zelensky, and you've got people, as I say, like Trump, who's expressed some skepticism about it, and you've got Ramaswamy, who's out there actually denouncing them and saying the US should pull support. I know your view, and indeed, you know, I side with your view on the subject, but you've got a job there, haven't you, to persuade a lot of Republicans who do seem to wonder whether or not it's actually in America's interest to be spending large amounts of money supporting a country like Ukraine.
1: Look, I believe a majority of Republicans do support what's going on in Ukraine. I think that Trump, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy represent a minority view on this. But I'm not going to take anything for granted. I'm going to continue to go out there and make my case on this because I believe that America will only be first when America is working with its allies around the world And creating a strong, peaceful, free atmosphere in as much of the world as we possibly can. And I think it's also a proxy war against China. And I think we should all be taking that quite seriously.
0: The war continues, has been going on for 18 months now, exactly 18 months. Ukraine's had this offensive, which has now been going on for a few months. The best military analysis that I can read and that everybody seems to is that they've had some success, but they haven't really broken through and that the likelihood is we are settling in for a very long war. At what point do the American people, and do you have to say to the American people as a candidate and as a representative of them, we can't continue this. We can't continue with this open-ended support for a war that could go on for years.
1: Well, first off, If we armed the Ukrainians as aggressively as we should have, this war would probably be much closer to a conclusion now. Barack Obama, starting all the way back in 2014, sent them blankets instead of missiles. Donald Trump blackmailed them over their military aid in an attempt to get dirt on Joe Biden. And Joe Biden has given them just enough not to lose. If I had been president in 2021, I would have given them the F-16s immediately. I would have given them much more in terms of artillery and much more in terms of demining equipment. That's the stuff they need. When I went over and met with President Zelensky, they are being outgunned in artillery shells more than nine to one every day. And that's just simply not a way you're going to win a war. And so it's pretty amazing that the Ukrainian army has done what they've done already, given how outgunned they've been. And the United States and our allies have to get much more aggressive about giving them the armaments they need to be able to bring the fight to the Russian army. You know, President Zelensky made it clear to me, Jerry, when I was with him, that he has absolutely no interest, nor would he welcome American troops in Ukraine. He wants Ukrainians to win this war themselves. He just wants our help to give them the armaments they need to fight and defeat the Russians. And we should have been doing that already. And when I'm president, we will. And that's what will bring the war to a conclusion.
0: What does defeating the Russians mean? Does it mean kicking them out of the whole of Ukraine, including Crimea? Would that be the only acceptable outcome of this war for you?
1: No, look, I think that there's a number of different acceptable outcomes, Jerry. And that's something that once we get the Ukrainians pushing back on the land that was taken in this latest offensive by Russia that started 18 months ago, we'll then be in a position to help them negotiate the very best deal they could get. To bring this to a conclusion. So I'm not going to negotiate it on Jerry Baker's podcast. I'm going to negotiate it when I'm president of the United States.
0: All right, look, I hope you'll come back and tell me about it when you're president of the United States. You can come back on the podcast and you can explain what you've negotiated then. No, Let's take another issue, trade. That's another issue again, where there used to be sort of quite a widespread Republican consensus that free trade by and large was good. Not completely free trade. There've always been some restrictions, there's always been some protections, some tariffs, but broadly speaking, a commitment to free trade. President Trump came in, introduced tariffs on Chinese goods, threatened to do the same with some other countries, got into a sort of trade fight with Europe. Again, some of these populists in the Party, certainly Ramaswamy, maybe some others, also seem to suggest, no, no, free trade is not the right way to go. We need more protection, more tariffs, more support, more U.S. domestic support for U.S. companies and workers. What's
1: your view? Listen, I think free trade is a goal, but free trade has to be fair trade, Jared. We can't be allowing the Chinese to steal our intellectual property and helping them and giving them breaks on trade as well. The United States has to be treated fairly in these relationships regarding trade. And I think that's what people are frustrated by. And I think if we can make sure that we, through our agreements, level the playing field, the American people are supportive of trade around the world because they know that grows our economy And makes us stronger and freer.
0: Entitlements and entitlement reform. We all see the scale of the federal deficit right now and looking into the future, how serious it gets and how much of the federal government spending is increasingly eaten up by Social Security, but particularly Medicare spending. Again, many in the GOP have long argued for all kinds of reforms to lower the trajectory of that growth of entitlement spending. Would you be in favor of reforms or do you think the government needs to stick with what we got, essentially?
1: No, we have to have reforms because 11 short years, Jerry, we will wind up having 24% across the board cuts in both Social Security and Medicare. That's unacceptable for people who are on those programs right now. And so what we need to do is look at the things that really matter. We need to look at eligibility age, and not for people who are in their 50s or 60s, Jerry, but for people who are in their 30s and 40s, so they have enough time to adjust to a new retirement age for Social Security and their own personal savings and planning for their retirement. We need to look at means testing as well. Um, Do the very wealthiest in America who've had the most success really need to collect a Social Security check. I think both of those things are things that we need to look at and make part of an overall solution to the problem that we're facing in entitlements.
0: Another issue Republicans used to be pretty united on, especially in the 50 years that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land, was abortion, and in particular the need to overturn Roe v. Wade. I suppose it's kind of like the dog that's caught up with the car now. Roe v. Wade has been overturned. The issue has been turned over to the states. Now, Republicans, there's a wide range of views. There's a range of views about the appropriate limit for abortions, whether a six-week limit or a 15-week limit or maybe even further than that. And there's division as well about whether or not there should be a federal role here and whether or not there should be federal legislation to impose some kind of a limit. What's your view?
1: My view is that for 50 years, we've been arguing that the federal government should not be involved in this issue and that it's a state's issue. We finally got the Dobbs decision, which backed up that point of view, I think, correctly so, constitutionally. And so now I think we should let the states make their decisions. 50 states and the people of those states are going to get to decide what's legal regarding abortion in their states. And I think we should do that. If a national consensus were to form, Jerry, after all 50 states were able to weigh in individually, um, then that's something I would consider looking at as a national law, but not to short circuit the work of the states. They have both the constitutional right and now the obligation to deal with this issue state by state and to involve their people. And I think that's the way it should be handled. And the only way the federal government should get involved is if after that 50-state process there was an obvious national consensus, then you could take a look at it then, but certainly not before.
0: We're going to take a break then, but when we come back, I'll have more of my conversation with former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. Stay with us. Rapid expansion. We're ready. Worker shortage. We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. You're listening to Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Don't forget, you can listen to the latest episode anytime on your smart speaker. Just say, play the Opinion Free Expression podcast. Now, back to Jerry Baker. Welcome back. I'm talking to the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, and of course, a candidate for the Republican Party 2024 presidential nomination. Let's take a look at the wider state of the GOP, where it stands again. And I want to ask you this. You said... There was a little bit of confusion last week's debate when the moderator asked who would support President Trump, even if he were convicted, and your hand went up, but it turned out you were waving because you just wanted to get detention. I think it was only you and Asa Hutchinson who seemed to say very clearly that you wouldn't support him. I just want to take you through that scenario. Supposing he is convicted, we now know that the trial date of one of the major trials, the Jack Smith case on the election interference is set for the day before Super Tuesday. Incredibly, we're going to start that trial then. Let's say he is convicted. That trial date goes ahead and he is convicted. There's an appeals process, obviously, which he'll presumably go through, but he'll be convicted and he's still the nominee. He's still a candidate. And indeed, Super Tuesday happens and, you know, he looks like he gets a big majority. First of all, let me ask you, what would you do? You said you wouldn't support him. Would you get behind a third-party candidate? Would you run yourself as a third-party? I mean, you must be thinking these things through. What would your response be should that happen?
1: No, what I'm thinking about is defeating him in the primary so we don't have to deal with this. But I made it very clear, Jerry, the other night that I do not believe that we can have a convicted felon as the nominee of our party. And I believe it will lead to certain defeat at the polls, and the ramifications for that defeat for Republicans will be grave. We'll lose the House at the same time. If we were to lose the vote for the White House, I'm convinced with only a five-vote majority, we've lost the House of Representatives as well. That would lead to potential packing of the Supreme Court by the Democrats. That would lead to probably elimination of the filibuster. Things that Republicans believe are antithetical to the way we think government should be run. And so that's why I have said from the beginning that having a convicted felon as our nominee is a non-starter and I couldn't support it.
0: Do you think that defeating Trump in the primary then is necessary to avoid a national constitutional crisis?
1: I don't know about that. I know that it's necessary to prevent a national calamity by having, in my view, the Democrats control both the Congress and the White House. And that's what I know for sure would happen because I'm absolutely convinced he would be defeated.
0: He, of course, and many Republicans attack this administration. You've been critical, too, of the administration, particularly over the handling of the investigation of the president's son, Hunter Biden. And they say there's a double standard here. There's a clear double standard that Trump faces whatever it is, 91 indictments, half of them at the federal level over interference in the election and over the handling of classified documents. And Hunter Biden, if it hadn't been exposed by congressional investigators, would basically would have got away with a slap on the wrist. Do you share that view? Do you think there are double standards?
1: Look, I think that the way the Hunter Biden case was handled. And I don't necessarily want to give credit only to congressional investigators. Quite frankly, the judge in that case did her job. And I was saying for three weeks before the Hunter Biden plea was coming into court that it would never be approved and that it wouldn't be approved because it was such a one-sided deal. And that any responsible judge would look at that and say, this is ridiculous. I'm not approving it. And that's exactly what she did. So part of what I think we should be celebrating here is the fact that the judicial system did work. An independently appointed judge with lifetime tenure didn't care that she was dealing with the president of the United States' son. She did what was right and just under the law, and that should give people more confidence in our legal system. Now, you can't come to any different conclusion that he was given a sweetheart deal either by biased or incompetent prosecutors. Either way, it's bad for our system. I'm disappointed that the attorney general appointed David Weiss to be the special counsel. I think his leadership has been proven to be incompetent in this regard. And, you know, I think he's going to lack credibility in what he does going forward because of how bad he was in the initial handling of the case. And so I don't blame anyone for thinking that these two things were handled differently because they were. And Hunter Biden, in my view, Should be spending time in jail for both his gun violation and for the millions of dollars in income that he didn't claim on his tax returns.
0: And what about Joe Biden himself? Do you think Biden is deeply implicated? I'm not talking about, obviously, the tax returns and the gun issue. I'm talking about his business activities, of which we're learning a lot more. How deeply implicated do you think Joe Biden is in that?
1: There's a lot of smoke there, Jerry. And I want to see where the fire is. If there's fire, then the president's going to have a big, big problem on his hands. I'm not going to prejudge it, but I am going to say that it should be something that the special counsel should be investigating as well regarding Hunter Biden.
0: A lot of people in the House, Republicans, already want to move for an impeachment of President Biden. What about you? What do you think?
1: Well, look, I think that's putting the cart before the horse. We'll have plenty of time to take a look at that once the Justice Department is done doing its work. And certainly, the House should continue their oversight activities in making sure they get all the information they need regarding President Biden's conduct while he was vice president. That can all be done without moving quickly to impeachment before we know what all the facts are.
0: But again, back to the the Republican Party, do you think that this fight that we're seeing between the Trumps and the Ramaswamis and, as you say, to some extent, the DeSantis and, you know, we saw on the stage you and Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, perhaps a more traditional Republican Party, is this going to be resolved firmly and clearly within the party? Or is this going to be a fight that's going to go on? Again, you forget Trump himself, his personal behavior or whatever he may have done and whatever may happen to him legally, he and those others do seem to represent a very, very clear new strand of Republican. Do you think that somehow that's going to just be resolved in this primary election one way with you as the nominee or, you know, one of those other candidates as the nominee? Or is the party now facing a kind of irrevocable division, do you think?
1: No, and no more than the Democrats are facing an irrevocable division between the more moderate strains of the party, like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and others, and the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing of the party. There are always going to be different factions inside a political party. And I think, though, that if I'm elected President of the United States, I'm going to lead our party in a direction that I think is right for our country. Now, If Donald Trump were to become the nominee, he'll lead the party in the way he thinks is uh, in his own personal interests. You know, whether any of these things are ultimately and finally resolved, I don't think that's the case. If you've got a party that is vital and strong, which our party is, and full of ideas, which our party is, There's always going to be conflict.
0: I mean, you personally, as you know, you have quite negative ratings among a lot of Republicans. Rightly or wrongly, a lot of Republicans don't approve of you. How would you be able to bring the party together, given you have been the most outspoken critic of Donald Trump, who does enjoy huge support within the party, whatever that level may be? You've been a very outspoken critic of him. You got into a fabulous tangle the other night with Vivek Ramaswamy. Again, as I say, you're held in low esteem by a certain number of Republicans, partly because of your relationship with Barack Obama, as they see it or whatever. How do you you, personally Personally bring a party that does seem so divided and certainly so hostile to people like you of a particular philosophy and particular background? How do you bring that party together?
1: I don't accept the premise of your question, Jerry, that there's portions of the party who are so hostile. Look, we have disagreements. And the way you resolve those are to deliver results for the American people. And my obligation is not just to lead my party, but if I'm president, it's to lead the whole country. And that's exactly what I'll do and I'll provide conservative, smart results for the problems that we have. And when I start to do that, more and more people will support us. And that's the way it was in New Jersey, and it's the same way it'll be here in New Jersey. Let me say it was a significantly greater political challenge than our country in the respect that New Jersey is a deep blue state. And I was not only elected here against a Democratic incumbent governor, one of only three Democratic incumbent governors to lose in the last 30 years when I was being outspent three to one. But I was also reelected four years later with 61% of the vote in a deeply blue state. So I just don't share your pessimism.
0: All right, well, let me ask you this. I think you're generally seen, as I've said repeatedly, and as you've said, as the principal anti-Trump candidate in this, and that some people think that you're mission here is kind of a dare I put it this way if you don't mind me saying so governor kind of a kamikaze mission right your, your main aim you'd of course you want to be president of course you're running for president but you would be absolutely quite content if you can bring Trump down if you can blow up his campaign and then if someone like a Mike Pence or a Nikki Haley or somebody else like that on that hierarchy of ambitions of you being president and Donald Trump not being president how important is it to you to stop him At all costs, even if it means somebody else getting the job.
1: I want to be president of the United States, Jerry. And anybody who thinks you do this and sacrifice what you sacrifice to run for president of the United States on a kamikaze mission is someone who obviously has never run for president of the United States.
0: So you'd be equally disappointed if Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, or whatever, became the nominee, and as you would if uh, Donald Trump became the nominee?
1: I would be disappointed if I'm not the nominee, Jerry. Chris Christie, as ever? Combative, very
0: thoughtful. Thank you very much indeed for joining Free Expression.
1: Jerry, love being on Free Expression and invite me back. I'll come back again. Come back when you're president. And I want to know how you're going to help settle the Ukraine conflict. You got it, Jerry.
0: Well, that's it for Free Expression this week. I'm Jerry Baker. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Please join us again next week when we'll have another look at one of the big topics in the news. It's one of the leading figures in the news. Thanks again and goodbye.
1: This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day, but what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash